Chapter Eight of A Winter of Content by Laura Lee Davidson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Bolacs belong to a tribe of French Canadians that has peopled half the countryside. They have various nicknames: Black Jack, Little Joe, Yankee Jim, Big John, Rosemary, Marie John, and so on. The Little Jack Bolacs live at Loon Bay, round the point, three miles away. The road to Loon Lake Station starts at their landing. They live in a barn, a 16 by 20 foot log structure, banked with earth to keep out the cold. In its one room, along with a double bed, a cooking stove, table, sideboard, sewing machine, rocking chair, boxes, pots and pans, and a clutter of harness and old junk of all kinds, live John and Rose, and the six young Bolacks, beginning with 16-year-old Lewis and ending with the baby. There is one door and a small window that, so far as I know, has never been opened. In summer, when the door is left ajar, the room is apt to be further inhabited by hens, ducks, cats, and even a lamb or two. The house stands in a clearing on a perfectly bare hill, but in summer the whole slope is golden with sheets of tansy, and the small dugout milk house is shaded by a giant lilac bush, sole remnant of some long-forgotten garden. At the foot of the hill, rotting, flat-bottomed boats wallow in the mud, and there the little bolocks spend happy days fishing for mudcats, waiting for frogs, screaming, wrangling, and throwing stones into the water. They have not always lived in a barn. They have had two other houses, each burned to the ground, with all the pitiful furnishings it contained, crushing blows to people as poor as the bolocks. After the last fire, they moved into the barn, the only shelter left standing, intending to build again in the spring, but log-hauling is work building materials cost money, and time went on. Now they have settled down contentedly in the barn, and will stay there, I doubt not, until this roof falls down about their heads. They have no fear of another fire. That would be impossible, for, as one of the children tells me, the last one happened on the full of the moon, sure sign that they can never be burned out again. Like other men of the settlement, John Bolak works at the mica mine, hunts, fishes, and farms a bit, Rose walks barefoot over the fields, after the plough, digs the small garden, raises chickens, picks wild berries, and sells frogs to the summer campers, contriving thus to supply the few clothes and groceries needed. For the rest, they live a happy, carefree life in the open, and the young bolocks scramble up somehow. Rose handles the boxes of supplies that come from Toronto for the island, driving them in from Loon Lake and bringing them across the lake by wagon or boat as the time of the year permits. Last time she refused very firmly to allow me to pay for that hauling. We ain't a-goin' to tax you nothing, she declared. When I expostulated, she only shook her frowsy head more violently. No, she said, we do it for you for nothing. It ain't like you had a man here to do for you, she reasoned. Then she looked at her own man with pride, and at me with a vast pity, because I had no man to work myself to death for. In a pioneer neighborhood, where every woman must have some man, however worthless, to hew the wood and care for the stock, and where every man must have some woman to cook and to keep the house, however lazy a slattern she may be, I, who live alone, pay for my wood and draw the water, must be a creature not to be understood. Yesterday the Bolacks invited me to go with them to the races in Henderson Bay, a trying out of the neighborhood horses before the yearly races to be held at Queensport next week. Scrambling and falling down the slippery trail, in answer to their hallo, 
i found a straw-filled wagon body set on runners and drawn by bulock's old mare she not having been sharp shod slipped and slid threatening to break a leg at every step while the wagon slewed from side to side over the ice it was the first time that she had driven over a lake my heart was in my mouth all the way henderson's bay a long arm of many islands stretches for a mile into the land it is a beautiful horseshoe with the farmhouse at the toe the course was laid out on the dull green ice little cedar bushes set up to mark the quarter miles an old reaper frozen in near the shore served as the judge's stand we drew up at the side of the track in the lee of a high rock that somehow sheltered us from the piercing wind it was a friendly scene the encircling arms of the shore stretched round and seemed to gather us close the smoke from the house chimneys curled up to the low leaning gray sky and henderson's herd led by a dignified old bull strolled down over the hill as though to see the race far away on the ice black spots appeared later discerned to be fast-moving buggies sleighs and wagons coming to the meet when they were all assembled there must have been as many as seven vehicles there were four horses to be tried they were harnessed in turn to a little two-wheeled affair called a bike there is only one bike here so no two horses could run at a time and there had to be a great unhitching and harnessing again after every trial of speed joe boggs the neighborhood jockey drove with arms and legs all spraddled out like a spider and urged on his poor steeds with wild cries of hi 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 enough to frighten a sensible horse to death i've never beheld a more professional-looking horseman than mr boggs his disreputable squirrel-skin cap that hung off the back of his head his high boots the bow of his legs the squint of his eye even the way he chewed a straw between races bespoke the true jockey one felt that if joe boggs could not put a horse over the track no one could rose bulock too was a keen judge of a horse she criticized the entries unsparingly rose with her long dry-looking coonskin coat and her dirty red toque cocked over one eye that old mare she would say cuttingly i knowed her in her best days and then she wasn't much that settled the mare for us our money was not on her there was however one horse that she did consider worth praise she told me with awe that his owner had refused four hundred dollars for him a staggering sum so valued was this animal that he was not to be allowed to run any more till the queensport races but when it was learned that i wished to admire him his owner consented to put him once round the course for my pleasure after the contestants had each done his best or worst the meet broke up with many good days and come overs and we drove back over the ice the old mare plunging and sliding along seemingly quite accustomed to being driven at a gallop over a sheet of ice the eye swept the outline of the shore on which stand the seven homesteads of this arm of the lake each roof shelters a family of a different race and creed many islands is a type of the whole of this strong young country that takes in men of all lands and minds gives them her fertile prairies almost for the asking and makes them over into good canadians there are the blakes from the states and aggressively american the jacksons canadian-born and methodist the hendersons english and church of england the mcdougalls scotch and presbyterian the cassidys irish and catholic harry spriggins a sharp-faced london cockney and the bolocks true french canadian once in a while a swede wanders in and hires out for the woodcutting or an indian comes along 
through the lakes in his canoe and camps for a while on one of the islands amid all the differences of belief and the clash of temperament the people managed to be friendly and neighborly the children play together the young folk marry and the next generation is all canadian they all speak english but when one stops to listen literal translations of idioms and queer turns of phrase stand out for it always speaks of a little small bird or tree or what not and for him all things are always perfectly all right do your mind that pig i sold blackjack asks uncle dan cassidy how are you today inquires harry spriggins oh not too bad answers john bolock postropmal he is saying of course when john has finished a job he stands off hands in pockets and observes that is now old buncombe sa after a moment's pondering one knows that buncombe sa is what he means they speak of coming home through the bruley that is the scrub wood through which a forest fire once swept it is the land brulee burned over while they live in canada their talk is of far away lands and it is to the old country that they mean to return some day and from the house on the island i see the life go by the stern bare life of the country with its never-ending toil its uncounted sacrifices its feuds its ready charities and the piteous unnecessary sufferings of the sick blessed be the rural telephone lately come to many islands that has made it possible for dr lebaron to reach a patient the day he is called thrice blessed the tinkle of those little bells that bring the voices of the world to the farms shut in behind the snowdrifts to the women dulled with labor and shaken with loneliness they are the little bells of courage i stopped at a farm the other day a very lonely place scarce were the first greetings over when the young mistress of the house said proudly we have the telephone here would you care to talk to any of your friends something in her tone the eager shining of her eyes brought a rush of tears to my own it was the supreme effort of hospitality she was offering me the one thing that had meant life itself to her the dear privilege of speaking with a friend End of chapter eight